Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, pureandsimplebible.com, and I am glad to have an opportunity to talk to you again and uh, have a great Bible conversation. Today, it is just me, and uh, so I'll do my best to make it sound conversational, although it's always maybe difficult to listen to when it's just one person talking. But uh, for some reasons outside of my control, I've not been able to devote some time to recording new conversations lately. I've had many irons in the fire uh, in other parts of my life, and so I find myself without a guest this week. And I'll do my best to make sure that next week I have uh, people back in who uh, can be helpful in recording with me. So I want to talk to you today about giving God glory. And I guess the motivation for this Bible study that I did was uh, a, a recent event in my life where I was offering some counsel to someone. And I said, you know, God's going to be glorified whatever happens. Uh, either he's glorified in the mercy or he's glorified in the justice. And uh, either way, God gets glorified. And, you know, for the situation, I feel like it was it was helpful. But I left that conversation just kind of wondering uh, about glory, you know, and, and what the word glory means. Um, I've grown up in the Church of Christ, and so a lot of these words that we use are just kind of second nature. They have the context that they're stated in, and, and we don't really question that. We just kind of say, yeah, glory, God's glory. And uh, for me, this study was really helpful because I just wanted to know um, maybe more about why we say what we say and, and how we say it and when we say it. So that's kind of what this study's about. Um, I got four main questions. So for those of you who like structure, and you can maybe visualize structure, then I would ask you to visualize like a, a, a pie cut into four pieces. And each piece of that pie is one of these big questions. The question is, what is the glory of God? That's my first question. Then, what does it mean to give God glory? Third, how do I glorify God? And fourth, when do I glorify God? And uh, I'll be honest, that last question of when, obviously it's all the time, you know, but specific to to my study and what motivated me to write this was um, the times whenever it may be, when you think, uh, how in the world could God get glory in this? You're like, what, what am I supposed to do? This, this situation is so bad, it's so awful. How does God get glory in it? Well, that's the motivation behind the question, when do I glorify God? You know, uh, an example in the Bible that reminds me that no matter what, God is going to be glorified is in Luke chapter 19, verse 37 through 40, for those who are interested in the Scripture. Um, and in that, that narrative, this is when Jesus has his triumphal entry, and, uh, you know, You've got these men and women and children, and I want you to focus on the children with me for a little bit. And I see these kids watching their parents, watching their parents uh, rip off palm 
leaves and shake them as the Messiah is coming up the road toward Jerusalem. And they're taking off their outer garments and throwing them on the ground for him to walk on. And they're singing, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna to the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. Right? So they're glorifying God. And these kids are watching this. I can't help but see them, uh, you know, kind of learning and looking and mimicking. And what's interesting is that the, the narrative continues. Jesus later goes to the temple, and there's religious leaders there who don't necessarily like him. But you know who's also there? The kids. And the kids are still mimicking what their parents did and what the grown-ups did. And they're still singing, Hosanna to the Son of David, glory to God in the highest. And the religious leaders indignantly shout, do you hear what these children are saying about you? You know, they're upset. And uh, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, if these little ones kept silent, the rocks would cry out. And for me, whenever I read that narrative, it reminds me that God will be glorified. And even if we choose not to glorify him, creation cannot deny that and, and will cry out, glory to God. Um, I think as I went through this study and what I needed from the study, I needed to know that, that even in situations that are pretty bad, God is going to be glorified. And it's a beautiful exercise of perspective for us as we're going through a fiery trial that we can give God glory and that he will be glorified no matter what. So that's kind of the, the intro story, if you will, about how God is going to be glorified. But what I want to do is just spend time you know, answering those four questions. What is the glory of God? What does it mean to glorify God? How do I glorify God? And when do I glorify God? So let's jump into that first you know, section, question, of what is the glory of God. Now, uh, glory is a word in the Bible that is all over the place. And a lot of times it, it represents a vast array of, of God's qualities. And so for the, the sake of time, I, I'm not going to be able to go through all of it, but just looking at the Old Testament, for example, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 1, 26 through 28, it talks about how this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And if you are in that section, you'll notice that it uses words like thunder and lightning and rainbows and uh, fire and trying to put into words what glory is. And uh, Exodus 33, you know, if, if Ezekiel 1 is just talking about the likeness of the glory of God, then the implications of how powerful God's glory is happens in Exodus 33, where Moses asks to see God's face, and God says, uh, that, that's not possible. And I'm, I'm kind of quoting from the Jonathan Edwards translation, so bear with me. But uh, that's not possible. No one can look upon my face and live. But then he explains to Moses, you hide in the rock, and I'm going to pass by. And when, and he's, the, the scripture says, and it shall be when my glory passes by, and then he, you know, he allows Moses to see the, the very edge, the back of side of glory. 
And, uh, you know, just from scriptures like these in the Old Testament, I think we can ascertain that glory is heavily associated with light. And, you know, this this uh, light, but but specifically a light that is so pure and potent and powerful, it's it can be destructive. It definitely is um, more powerful than than we're able to consume. And what I like to summarize it as is God's glory is the manifestation of all his attributes combined. Okay? Glory is the manifestation of all of God's attributes combined. And hear me out. Um, Let me show some things from the New Testament, and then we'll go back to that idea of God's glory being all of his attributes combined together. In the New Testament, God's glory has a similar um, definition. It's definitely related to light and uh, something flowing outward. Hebrews 1, verse 1 through 4, the sun is the radiance of his glory. What do you what do you see there? Well, I mean, it's like, again, a candle or a light radiating, shining, you know, like the sun. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 30, Jesus said that um, he would return on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All eyes are going to see that, right? In Revelation 21, 23, the glory of God gives heaven light, and the lamp is its The lamb is its lamp. There's no sun in heaven because of the glory of God. And so here, again, it's illuminating. It's radiating. What's interesting in the New Testament is that glory takes on human flesh. John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. And so that glory becomes a lot more intimate, personal, knowable, tangible, because Jesus came in the flesh. Really neat stuff about the glory of God. But uh, remember, the definition I gave was that glory is the manifestation of all of God's attributes combined. And you could Google light prism if you're not able to make the the visual that I'm suggesting. But, you know, if you've ever seen a prism, uh, you've got the beam of light going into the prism that refracts the light and turns it into the the many colors of the rainbow. and so that's, in, in my opinion, the best visual of glory is glory is all the attributes combined. And then the Bible refracts God's glory to teach us that God is good and that God is just and that God is merciful and God is wrath and that God is love and that God is power and that God is truth and God is jealous. And all of those things, the various character traits of God work in harmony together. And it's not the purpose of this conversation, but you know, sometimes people get upset with God's wrath or God's jealousy. And they say, I, I don't serve a God like that. I, I want to serve a God of love, you know, one that, that is gracious. But I think New Testament Christians who take the Bible seriously understand that uh, any relationship is not so vanilla or one-dimensional that it's just based on one thing. You know, I think about my relationship with my wife, and what makes it work so well is that our dynamic is not just about romantic love, but part of that romantic love is the bond of friendship and the solidarity in the face of adversity. 
Uh, Our relationship is complex and dynamic and wonderful because of it. And so it is with God. You know, uh, humans get jealous for one another. Jealousy is a sign that a relationship is in jeopardy. And, And when a relationship is in trouble, if you respond with ambivalence instead of jealousy, it's a sign that you don't care. And so when I look at God's wrath and jealousy and justice, it's part of God's glory. And it actually makes me feel safe knowing that God is a jealous and just God. Now, the scripture that I think best personifies God's glory as being radiating light is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. I want you to listen to it, okay? This is one of the scriptures that I've read it like time and time and time again, and it wasn't until I had to study glory that I really appreciated what this is here for. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Pause. So, do you see a visual of light? Like we've talked about glory, this singular light, refracted, okay? To shine out of darkness, as the scripture says, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Jesus helps us understand the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. It's because glory is refracted and we see all the various character traits of God that we can appreciate what glory really is. So that's the first section. What is glory? I think it's natural for us to follow up with a second question, and that question is, what does it mean to glorify God? You know, and maybe this is just the cynic in me a bit, but if uh, if God has all the glory, right, if glory is the manifestation of all of his character traits, then why do I need to glorify him? Like, why do I need to praise and, and radiate towards God or about God if he's already got it all? Well, it's an interesting question. And um, I think as we're going to answer it, we can answer it positively and negatively. We can answer it with praise or we can answer it with justice. But to to give God glory simply means to uh, give God what is due him. To show either through yourself or show it to the world that God is worthy because he is. He is worthy of everything. And so that's how we glorify God is to radiate and uh, illuminate. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But um, let me answer the question of what it means to glorify God first positively and then negatively. In First Chronicles chapter 16, there's a guy named Asaph. and You, you may know him from the book of Psalms. He wrote a lot of the Psalms. But in 1 Chronicles 16, he pours out this uh, poem or song of praise to, to the glory of God. And I want you just to listen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like, read off these bullet points, okay? I want you to listen to um, what it means to glorify God. Ready? Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim the greatness of God's name. Tell the whole world what God has done. Sing to the Lord. Exalt his name. Rejoice in him. Seek out the Lord and trust his power. Pause. So some of that seemed kind of 
maybe what we're used to, like uh, praising God, but others of it were about proclaiming God, right? Telling others about God. That's also glorifying God when God is being proclaimed. Interesting, right? Let's keep considering. Here's a few more things that Asaph said. Remember the Lord's deeds. Ascribe glory and strength to him because it's what's due to him. Bring an offering to the Lord, worship the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, and cry out to the Lord for deliverance. Again, some of these things are what I traditionally thought about when when I began this study. What does it mean to glorify God? Well, I'm going to praise him, right? I'm going to sing songs to him. Maybe when the church gathers together, uh, I'm going to exalt and rejoice in what he's done. But there's other things in here that give God glory that maybe aren't what we first think about, like proclaiming him, telling others about him, meditating on what he's done in my life, um, crying out to him for deliverance. These things also glorify God. Why? Because we're radiating and illuminating God's character, his nature, and his works, either through self or to others. But, you know, uh, before we move too far away from what does it mean to glorify God, I want to observe the actual phrase, give God the glory. That phrase, or phrases similar to it, appear several times in the Bible, and they're always about God's justice. Give God the glory. This phrase is about God's justice. And here's what I want you to remember in this question. What does it mean to glorify God? Well, either it means praise, but when we don't praise, God's still going to be glorified in the justice of what happens in a situation. Let me explain. Joshua 7, verse 19, um, there is an account of a man who is on death row, and the, the judge is trying to get him to confess. You know, he, he's wanting him to tell the truth. And the phrase he uses, is, he says, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me what you've done. So the idea of giving God glory to this man on death row was tell the truth. There's justice in the glory of God. Jeremiah chapter 13 verse 16 says, Give God, or excuse me, give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness, before your feet stumble. And while you look for light, he turns it into shadow of death and makes it dense darkness. So the idea is that God's justice is going to happen. He will be glorified. You have an opportunity to repent. But in the justice that follows, he'll get glory in that. Right? Acts chapter 12, verse 21 through 23, there was a man, and this man, uh, this ruler, Herod, he had an opportunity to give God glory because people were praising him and they were saying things like, it's not the voice of a man but of a God. And, but instead of reflecting that upward towards the Father, he accepted it for himself, and God uh, cursed him in a very... A painful way, and he died. And of his death, in Acts chapter 12, it says, because he did not give God the glory. Revelation chapter 14, verse 17 says, fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come. So part of God's judgment is the glory that he has given in judgment. And then finally, Revelation 16, verse 9, verse 9 uh, talking about people who... Uh, would not repent. It says they did not repent or give God glory. 
And so his judgment would come. So God's glory is associated with judgment, with justice. And so either way, God will be glorified. He will radiate or illuminate his will. And part of his will is that justice will be served. And so, friends, we have the opportunity to glorify God. But if we don't take advantage of that, God will still be given glory. Now, to summarize, you know, this positive and negative together, I believe the best way to explain, to glorify God, simply uh, imagine a guy holding a lamp or a flashlight. Because it's not about us. It's about what we're doing with that light. And to glorify God means to illuminate and radiate God's character, nature, and works. I'm going to shine that light either into my own heart for personal change or outward to others to proclaim God's goodness and who he is so that they can be saved. And the way we glorify God happens in one of three ways, according to the Scripture. Either we praise God, we trust God, or we obey God. And when you praise God, you give him glory. That's, that's like the most obvious, uh, in my opinion, it's the one I'm the most used to. You know, you go to church, you sing songs, you praise God, he gets the glory. Yeah, when, when I praise God, either at worship, but also in my own personal life, he's glorified. When I trust God, when instead of uh, maybe falling into a pit of anxiety and fear and worry, if I'm able to trust God, I'm glorifying him because I'm showing to myself and to the world God is bigger than my problems. But finally, and this one's the one that maybe we don't associate with glory as much, but hopefully we, we do now that we, we read some scriptures about God's justice and, and giving God the glory. And when He uh, people don't obey him, glory still happens. We glorify God when we obey him. And friend, I want you to hear that. You glorify God when you obey him. I've said on this program many times, and I hope to continue to say it, that we really need to rebrand that phrase of obeying God. And I feel like it's been hijacked by people who have turned obedience into a curse word. Obedience is not bad. Obeying God is good. Now, you have to obey from the heart. You have to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, right? There's so many things that qualify obedience. You can't save yourself through works of checking off a list of to-do things and then demand that God let you into heaven. But with those qualifiers, it's important to remember that of the thousand or so commands of the New Testament, when you obey them, you are glorifying God because you are illuminating and radiating his character and nature and works through your obedience. Now, I've kind of answered the question but the third big question in the, in the pie that we're going through, the third big question is about um, the mechanics. How do I glorify God? Well, how do we glorify God? Well, uh, as we just mentioned in the definition of what it meant to give God the glory, how do I glorify God? Well, I'm going to illuminate his nature and works, and I'm going to illuminate that through praise and trust and obedience. So that's how I do it. 
Praise, trust, and obedience. Praise, trust, and obedience. But you need scriptures, right? It can't just be Jonathan's think-sos about praise, trust, and obedience. So let's maybe start really large and uh, maybe start to then specify a little bit more. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Oh, wow. That's everything, isn't it? Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Wow. Now, yeah, the 1 Corinthians 10 is in a context of people either eating or abstaining from eating the meat that was offered to idols. Um, and so he says, you know, whether you do that or whether you don't, you do it to the glory of God. But certainly we can apply it to our lives. Whatever we do, we should be thinking about how that action glorifies God. And, you know, people can come up with cynical or, you know, skeptical questions like, oh, Jonathan, well, how does eating a bowl of Cheerios in the morning give God glory? You know, you're so zealous about this, but let's be let's be real. There's times whenever I'm I need to relax or there's times when I'm just you know doing mundane tasks. So how does eating a bowl of Cheerios give God glory? And I would respond by saying, well, what do you do with the energy from that bowl of Cheerios? You know, how does the energy glorify God? Because you've fueled up and now maybe you go to work or maybe you go to school or maybe uh, you go to the gym or maybe you go to church, you know, depending on what day it is. Um, But you can definitely glorify God. And as you're eating the bowl of Cheerios, that's what you can be thinking, man, how will I use this energy to the glory of God? How am I going to praise or trust or obey him? Matthew 5, verse 16 gets a little bit more specific. It says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And can you fill in the rest of that scripture? What does it say? Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Wow. When I praise and trust and obey, when you praise and trust and obey, God gets the glory. It's not about us. Our good deeds It's not to increase our credibility, uh, our street cred, right? It's about giving God the glory. When you obey those thousand commands the New Testament talks about and others see it, God gets the glory. And friend, this goes throughout your whole life. John 21, 19 says, This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. So even in death, even as we go through different life phases, you know, you're young, you're a teen, life is in front of you. You're middle-aged, life is busy. You glorify God in the busyness. You get older, it's the twilight years, you glorify God in your retirement. And as John 21 says, even as we approach death, we give God the glory. And so it's important to remember that whatever you do or in the deeds that you do before others or that whatever phase of life you're in, you you glorify God with praise and trust and obedience. And remember this, you can't glorify God without praise, trust, and obedience. You can't glorify God. Now, God will be glorified, but you can't glorify him without praise, trust, and obedience. Hear that dichotomy, right? Like God's going to get glorified no matter what we do. But right now we have the blessing and the privilege and the, the gift to glorify him. 
And we get to do that in the worship when the church gathers together, and we get to do it out of the worship whenever we're living life. In worship, when we gather together, we cannot glorify God if we're not praising and trusting and obeying him in our worship. What does that mean? Well, it could mean either uh, the things that we do or what's going on in our heart as we do those things. I can't add to what the New Testament says about worship, right? And so if the New Testament tells us uh, that we're supposed to sing praises to God and not use instruments, right, is the conclusion that we often come to whenever we read that, as we should, well, I can't bring in a praise band to glorify God by saying, I'll, I'll enhance it, I'll make it better. No, God doesn't get glorified when we disobey him. God gets glorified in our obedience, in our trust and our praise. And the same is true outside of the assembly. God isn't glorified whenever on our own time we're not obeying him. We can't glorify him that way. That's what I should have said. You can't glorify God outside of the assembly if you're not praising, trusting, obeying him. But ultimately, God will be glorified if not in the mercy and forgiveness of a people who have come to humble themselves before him. God will be glorified in the justice and the judgment when he rightly dispenses it upon a people who are disobedient. Now, you might be thinking... um, and the way my study was intended to be focused is is ultimately to go towards those that are struggling through a great struggle, a great um, trial. And so maybe you're thinking, yeah, I can praise, trust, and obey, but I can't see any way that this situation gives God glory because of how bad it is. And so this is our fourth section. The fourth section is, when do I glorify God? And I think it's easy for us to, to answer that with, uh, well, when I'm joyous, when I'm gathering with the church and we're doing it together, when life's going well, when I, when I see God's handiwork. But what happens when we don't, when life is bad? What happens when we've got a big old mud pit, metaphorically speaking? And maybe we didn't cause this mud pit. Maybe, maybe somebody else caused this mud pit in our life. And here we are with this mess and asking ourselves, how do I glorify God in this? Well, even then, friend, even then, you can glorify God. I have three, um, oh, what would I call it? I guess three parts, three answers to this of when, when should I glorify God? So here's the first answer. I may not understand, but I can still glorify God. Okay, so in in these times when it looks like there's no way for you to get out and you've got a huge mud pit in your life, you can say, I may not understand, but I can still glorify God. And the scripture I look to for this point is in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. I love it. I may do my own study on this because I feel like there's so much encouragement there. But in Daniel chapter 3, you've got the classic narrative of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they've been 
captured, taken to a foreign land. They're speaking a foreign language. They're in a foreign culture. And I imagine these young men, I mean, they have every reason to feel anxious, nervous, scared, overwhelmed. And they're given this command to bow down before a golden image. And if not, they die. And everyone else bows down except these three. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, even comes and threatens them. It's like, you better bow down or I'm going to throw you in this fiery furnace. But I love their response. Their response to me personifies that mindset of, I may not understand, but I can still glorify God. Listen to what they say. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Pause. The first part of their answer is complete faith. They trust God, right? They're obeying God. Man, they're giving God glory. They truly believe that God is going to save them. They also have an answer for this phrase, I may not understand, but I can still glorify God. Listen to what their answer is in verse 18. But if not, meaning, but if God doesn't save us from the fiery furnace. But if not, they say, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you've set up. I mean, that gives me chills, that they'd be so brave to say that in front of the most powerful man in the known world. But if not, meaning we may not understand it, but we're still going to glorify God, meaning we're going to praise and trust and obey him. So when do you glorify God? Even in the times when you don't understand it, you can still praise and trust and obey. Speaking about hard times, there's a cycle in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 4, it talks about how we can rejoice in suffering. I want you to see it like the, the little circle of, of uh, arrows, right? Suffering leading to endurance, because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And in that cycle, that hope, what, what do you think that does to the next time you suffer? Well, you're able to get through it easier because of the hope that you've got through suffering, endurance, and character. But what I find, I mean, it, it kind of shocked me. I had a, vis, a visual response is when Paul talks about the things we rejoice in. And he says we rejoice in the suffering leading to endurance, character, and hope. But if you read Romans 5, verse 1 through 4, right before that, he, he uses this phrase, we rejoice in the hope. But it says, after that, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Oh, man, that to me, when I read that, God's glory is going on in the midst of my suffering, endurance, character, hope, in that cycle we rejoice in this to the glory of God. Okay, so I may not understand it, but I can still glorify God. That means I can praise, trust, and obey him. And I can rejoice in the glory of God. Meaning when I 
praise, trust, and obey him, and there's this big mud pit in my life, I can at least rejoice that God's going to be glorified in my response to the mud pit. The mud pit's awful. Maybe I didn't do anything there. A lot of times I did, though. A lot of times the mud pit is my fault. And so assigning blame, whether it be me that made this mud pit or whether somebody else did this mud pit, or maybe just a, a, it's not a person, it's just a life circumstance, and there's a big mud pit in my life now. I may not understand, but I can still give God glory, meaning I can praise, trust, and obey Him. And when I praise, trust, and obey, I can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 5, verses 1-4. through 4. Read that scripture. It's powerful. And so, I want to challenge you, friend. Instead of saying, I can't see any way that this will give God glory, please, I, I want you to write down this instead. Write it down on a sticky note. Put it in your wallet. Write it on a sticky note. Put it on the mirror in your bathroom. Um, put it on your phone. Instead of having the mindset of, oh, I can't see any way this glorifies God, have this mindset. The question is, how will I glorify God in this? How will I glorify God in this? And that mindset difference is amazing because there's always, always opportunities to glorify God. And that's the final answer to this question. When do I do it? When do I give God glory? Well, there's always time to give God glory. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 through 8. I'm, I'm going to read just part of it. But it says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Giving God glory. I may not understand it, but I can rejoice in the hope of giving God glory. And I can know that instead of saying, I can't see a way that this gives him glory. I can ask myself, how, how am I going to glorify him in this season of my life? Listen to Ecclesiastes 3, verse 2. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what was planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. For those who know me, I'm a pretty positive-minded preacher. At least I think I am. You guys are, I guess, open to your opinion of my preaching. But it's easy for me to preach about and talk about giving God the glory in times of birth, in times of planting, in times of healing, in times of building up, in times of laughing, in times of dancing, as Ecclesiastes 3 says. But what I'm learning is that when there's times of death and times of plucking up, times of killing, times of breaking down, times of weeping and times of mourning, these are times when I shouldn't be saying, how can God how, how can God get glorified in this? I can't see any way. Instead, these are times for me to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and ask myself, how will I glorify God in the time of death? How will I glorify God in the time of plucking up? How will I glorify God in the times of destruction? How do I glorify God in the times of breaking down? How do I glorify God in the times of weeping? How do I glorify God in the times of mourning? And what I recognize, 
when I take a deep breath and I illuminate and radiate the character and nature of God through praise and trust and obedience, what I recognize is that this big mud pit in my life, when I give God the glory, it's amazing to see what He will do with that mud pit. He takes a big muddy mess and He turns it into a beautiful garden. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Ecclesiastes 3. Keep reading in that section. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And at this moment, I might see a muddy mess, but in God's good pleasure, He sees the canvas of a beautiful garden. And so, I leave you with these thoughts. And I summarize it by challenging you to give God glory. God will be glorified. He's going to get the glory. You have the privilege to praise and trust and obey Him, and and therefore the rocks don't cry out because you're too busy giving Him the glory. And you may not understand it, and you may be in the middle of a cycle of suffering that it seems like it's just spiraling out of control, but remember this. He has made everything beautiful in his time. And it's a privilege to be able to give him the glory. And friend, if you're not giving God the glory because you're not praising and trusting and obeying him, then my plea and warning to you is this. God will be glorified. He will be glorified. Don't be like so many that will delay their own submission to the will of God so that his glory must come in the justice that served in their life because of sin. Don't delay. You know, Jesus was so frustrated at Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 23 after calling out the hypocrisy of religious leaders again and again and again. He turns to the city and mourns and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he he ascribes to himself, he said, How I've longed to gather you like a hen gathers the chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Therefore, you will not see me again until I come in glory. And you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This Jerusalem crowd would ultimately give God glory and will give him that glory in the second coming of Christ. They had the opportunity to glorify God, and they didn't. They didn't praise and trust and obey him. And so glory will come in the justice. I don't want that for you. I don't want you to delay. So if you have things in your life, friend, I just want to tell you, you need to get right with God. You need to repent and change. And in the repentance and in the changing, as you learn to praise and trust and obey, then you're giving God glory in a righteous way. All right, I've rambled on long enough. Thankful 
to have the privilege to chat with you. I hope that um, it was a study worth listening to. And um, let's come back next week, okay? I may have a guest and I may not, but uh, we'll find out then. So same time next week, come back. And also subscribe, like the podcast. Help me get this out to more people. People need to know how great God is. And this is just one small way, but it's my service to the Lord and it's your service to the Lord too. If you love it, then help me share it with others. All right. God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.